Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network Podcast. This is the Week 7 College Football Betting Preview. I'm stuck in with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. Still trying to get over that sad, sad performance from the Raging Cajuns last night. 19 plays, 12 minutes. They never got the ball back. For everybody that had a live bet, I had a live bet. I had pregame minus one. Couldn't get the ball back. How are you? How are Not even a chance, you know? And you just, this Cajuns team is not a hurry up. Yeah, I had plus three and a half live. And what it took to lose that, the pass interference from the ref that was far away, third and 10, they just, it was just a soul crushing drive um, and then of course they can't go down the field and uh, get in the back door with a couple drops there late you know it's for those not familiar there's the points bet has a bad beat index now unfortunately live bets don't care but I'd be interested to see where that would have ranked the plus three and a half because points bet keeps track of the worst beats of the season and their bad beat index and then you know so if you want to have a truly awful bad beat refunded check out points bet because it's a pretty cool feature that they're doing Points bet uh, bad beat index should take into account Billy Napier punting fourth and one from the 50-yard line, never getting the ball back, lining his quarterback up. The reverse on third and inches. What the hell was that? Just brutal. All right. Well, anyway, we're going to get to Friday night lights. We'll get to the Friday night games later in the show. Our Moneyline Underdog Parlay, our favorite favorite, a.k.a. Overdog. Before we do that, we're going to get to the five marquee games of the weekend and there are some really good games this weekend it's week seven early to mid-october this the last two years is when we really started to get it rolling so hopefully we could do it again this year but we have you know alabama texas a&m you know oklahoma texas lsu florida there's some fire games notre dame usc so we'll get to all of that it's a great weekend in college football there isn't really any great situational spots this weekend So we're going to skip the look ahead or look away segment. And let's just do a quick rundown of each conference as we have been doing here lately. We'll go alphabetically. Let's start in the AAC. When you and I on noon on a Saturday are on Temple together, good things happen. Al gifts are flying. And it looks like we are both on Temple once again here at plus six. I'm also on under 51. It's down to 49. I still like it at 49. Both of these defenses are very underrated. I think they're right up there. It tops of the nation in third down defense, but you like the Owls here this weekend, right? Yeah, I do like the Owls. Uh, it seems like everybody else has kind of caught on and backed, you know, the Owls in this spot too. But I mean, Memphis is a boom or bust offense. They're very reliant on explosive plays. They're successful on just forty five percent of their runs, forty three percent of their passes, which is well below the national average. Uh, but you know, they like I said, they live off of the big the big play. Uh, they're top five in passing plays of forty yards or more, but they're eighty fifth in first downs. So that tells you that they'll pop an 80, 70, 60 yarder, uh, you know, because they don't accumulate first downs whatsoever. Uh, And that's the only way they can score because their red zone scoring percentage is 98. So expecting to see an App State like 19 play drive that takes 12 minutes, that just doesn't happen for Memphis. Temple's allowed just three rushes and eight passes over 20 yards the entire season. They are a very stingy defense, especially when it comes to explosive plays. Temple is off a little bit extra rest from that East Carolina debacle. And Memphis is just off of a boat race with ULM where they were just up and down the field scoring over 50 points. And they might have overlooked a Tulane. The AAC is getting all this conversation about best team, you know, for New Year's six spot. Uh, and they have a, a huge game for Memphis does with Tulane next week. So I don't know if there's overlook here, but Temple is uh, definitely going to be different pace than Tulane. It's just going to be bruised and getting beat up and, and tough sledding. Yeah, I think there's way too much value to pass up at, at six here on the Owls. And yeah, they're top five nationally in third down defense. Their special teams... 
a disaster. So that's one thing that does give me pause, but I couldn't pass up plus six. And the Memphis defense is playing really well this year. And their offense, you know, their numbers are, you know, some of them are impressive, but who had they played? I mean, they played uh-huh. Navy and beat them by 12 at home. All right. Right around the number. But they played Louisiana Monroe. They played, you know, and that box, that final score was kind of misleading, that 52-33. They played South Alabama, Southern, and then they won 15-10 over Ole Miss to start the year. It's not a, a profile that I'm overly impressed with. And, yeah, I do think that the Temple's defense can have some success here. Um, and I think it'll be a closer game than the spread indicates. Uh, staying in the AAC, uh, I just want to mention one play that I made on South Florida plus seven. It's down to five. I bought the hook to get the seven when I figured it was never going to get there. BYU has lost their quarterback, their starting quarterback, Wilson, and their starting running back for the year. This team's been traveling all over the place. I think South Florida, look, I know it's UConn, and UConn is still UConn. But with McLeod now named the starter, there's no or on the depth chart. You know, he's more of a dual threat quarterback, which they need because their offensive line is a disaster. BYU, they do a lot of good things on defense. But one of the things that they don't do is get after the quarterback. So, you know, they don't pressure as much as some of these other teams. So so I like South Florida here. At five, it gets a little tougher, but I still like them. I think they have a shot at pulling off the outright upset. Do you have any feel on that game? Yeah, I do like South Florida in this, and I've actually been waiting for it to come back because I don't think I could get a six and a half myself. And it's actually dropping as you and I are recording. I think we're going to get some four and a halves out of this number. So it's best to get it as quick as you can. You know, I don't want to say South Florida's reborn, a completely new offensive strategy. Blake Barnett is out. The McLeod kid is in. I mean, you had a game against UConn. You blew out UConn, uh, doubled their score, scored over 40. Uh, I need another game before I crown you <laughs> as revitalized, uh, just beating UConn. Yeah, I like South Florida in the spot. Um, and then there's, we also have Navy Tulsa. This is a really interesting game from an emotional recovery standpoint. So you had Navy with that huge emotional win over Air Force last week. And even in the presser, the postgame presser, Navy's head coach, Ken Yamatola, I always pronounce it wrong. He said, look, I usually am all about next week, but I told the guys to enjoy it. And then he said, look, I'm a little worried that we're going to be a little hungover after that win. But you also have to worry about Tulsa's mindset after losing that absolute heartbreaker to SMU. Again, they probably should have won if they just had a kicker uh, who could make any kicks. <laughs> and look, this this Tulsa team, they were really close with Oklahoma State in the second half at home. And then Oklahoma State scored a couple late touchdowns to make that score look misleading. They really should have won at SMU. So this team has been you know, a little better than their record may indicate. They have not fared too well against Navy in the past. And these, their games have been really high scoring, I think averaging like 66 points per game. But if I was going to trust one of these teams to get over, you know, a potential hangover, it has to be, you know, a service academy in Navy. What are you seeing here with Navy Tulsa? I mean, I took Navy right off the start from this. Navy uh, opened up at plus two. Uh, that's moved out to minus one. There's uh, some pretty heavy. If you're into contrarian R- RLM stuff, probably the people that cap just based on that are going to talk a lot about this game and the fact that Navy's taking in all the money and the numbers just kind of sitting around at minus one. Uh, but for me, the handicap is a lot different. Navy's defense, they have been just tremendous in the trench. It was a reason I took them against Air Force. And Tulsa's offensive line is outside the top 100 in almost all of the categories. Navy's on defense are top 25 in the line yards, stuff rate, sack rate. Four teams in the nation have allowed more tackles for loss than Tulsa. So everybody's in the backfield playing against Tulsa. Their success rate in passing downs is, you know, second best in the AAC at 28%, but Navy is the best in defensive success rate when it comes to passing downs at 16%. So it's really kind of a, a clash there where I think Navy can take away what Tulsa does best on offense. You know, I don't care about money and take account and all that, but I don't care that it's all on Navy in this instance. That They just have the better team in the trenches and, and they can take what Tulsa does best. They can take that away from them. Yep. Yeah. And the last game I'll mention in the AAC is Houston, Cincinnati. So you could argue that Cincinnati may have a little bit of a hangover here after their win over UCF. Houston is coming off of a buy, a much needed buy after their early season schedule. They started at Oklahoma and then had, you know, three short weeks in a row. And it really you could really see it on their defense and their defense is improved. Their new defensive coordinator has come in from Arkansas State and it hasn't been a train wreck. Yeah, they got blown out by Oklahoma, but so do a lot of mediocre teams. But they hung against Washington State, you know, until the second half when really that fatigue set in. Yeah, same thing with Tulane. And then at North Texas, they won by 21. This team, I know Derek King has sitting out, but this team still has a ton of talent. 
But it really comes down to what Clayton Toon can do, because if he can't get the ball downfield against this excellent Cincinnati defense and they become one-dimensional, Cincinnati will shut you down. But I think that this Houston team might have a little value in the market. They got much. They have much need of rest, and people are just writing them off. But what they showed me at North Texas, uh, I think, was pretty impressive. We'll see where this line goes. I mean, there's a couple shops that got it at seven and a half. I make this game five and a half. Cincinnati does have a couple extra days rest. I also make the game 54 on the total, so it's a little bit less than what I think. Uh, so there is value on Houston over the seven uh, based on our, our projections over at the Action Network. I mean, which Houston team are you going to get? Are you going to get the first half one against North Texas that barely scored any points or the one that, you know, that scored 50 points in the second half against North Texas? And, you know, you're right about Cincinnati. We'll see what kind of hangover they have now that they can maybe possibly afford to lose a game because of the division they're in and they've already beat their rival in that division uh, you can kind of go in cruise control I'm not sure if that's something that goes through their mind can't get over just how bad UCF played in the red zone so you know I think someone's going to sneak up on Cincinnati I just don't think it's going to be Houston uh, I would take Houston at seven and a half or better uh, higher than that we'll see where the line goes but I don't think they can win the game outright fair enough um, let's move on to the ACC We'll get to Virginia-Miami later in Friday Night Lights. The only other game I really wanted to cover here, just to get your thoughts on the line, is Clemson-Florida State. So my thinking here, you know, when I first saw this line, I said, ah, it looks about right. And then I started to say to myself, you know, Clemson off of a bye. They've, all they've been hearing is this Clemson team, you know, is lackadaisical and they're not – I mean, it's just the narrative. No one – people are starting to question Clemson. You know, Florida State's going to have Blackman out there. Hornybrook, I think, is going to play as well. But is this a game that Clemson doesn't have really many good games on their schedule left? But after a bye here, after barely holding on against North Carolina, is this a game where Clemson comes out and just names it and says, hey, everyone, we're still the national champs? Yeah, I mean, I think the number is spot on. I think we have this at actually over 26, so it's sitting at uh, 27, 27 and a half. So the number is spot on. We even have the total at 61, and the game is listed at 60. So definitely don't think there's value on either side. But as far as Clemson having motivation, that's all they've heard the last two weeks. And then Dabo, I think I think for those of you that uh, haven't seen, Dabo got hot in an interview, asked about if Trevor Lawrence has had an MRI. I don't think that he officially said no. Instead, he got really hot and got defensive and said it's none of nobody's business who gets an MRI and it's nobody's business what Trevor Lawrence is doing, and uh, which would tell me that the answer is yes. So I, I don't know if there's uh, an unspecified injury with Trevor. Maybe something uh, with, with his throwing mechanics isn't right compared to last year. But at least from a statistical point of view, Florida State has given up 19 passes over 20 yards. That's 90th in the nation. So if Clemson wants to throw it deep, they should be able to throw it deep. I know Jim Livett came in as a consultant to Harlem Barnett. Uh, I know the, the defense is, uh, I think they might have changed up schemes from a 4-2-5 down to a 4-3. So I'm not sure how that's going to affect the way Florida State plays. Maybe they take a page out of North Carolina's book and decide that they're not going to let anything get past them. They'll give up anything within 15 yards, but they won't let anything get past them. We'll see. But Clemson should be able to name it. With the talent that they have on the outside with Higgins and Justin Ross, if they don't win this game by, it, I don't know, say at least 24 or at least push on the spread, I've got Ohio State and Clemson power ranked the same way. You know, we haven't gone completely full ship and said Ohio State's the best team in the nation. But if Clemson can't at least get close to the spread or cover the spread comfortably or look like a national title contender, I, I will drop them, uh, you know, it, maybe down to fifth, maybe down to sixth. All right, let's move on here to the Big 12. We'll get to the Red River rivalry, Texas-Oklahoma, later. The only game I really wanted to touch on here, Iowa State-West Virginia, just quickly. It's an interesting spot for West Virginia. Last time they lost back-to-back home games, I think it was 2014. So they lost to Texas last week is right around this number, 10 Ten and a half point underdogs. And again, they probably should have won. If you look at the box score, you say, how did Texas win this game? And, you know, the answer was some of his field goals. Kendall throwing more interceptions. He's thrown seven this year. And West Virginia brings in Iowa State in between Texas and then going to Oklahoma. You know, I I don't know if it's necessarily a sandwich spot. This team wants to get as many wins as they can. But the clones, it's October. They haven't lost in October since 2017. Uh, it could be a semi letdown for West Virginia. This game to me just screams stay away. Line looks about right, but did you have any feel there? 
Yeah, actually, the line screams to me, take the over. Uh, all those things that West Virginia did last week, they, sh- they left a lot of points on the table. Uh, and, you know, if they just don't have as many mistakes, I think that they could put up a lot more points. I think uh, Neil Brown's system, they're they are finally starting to get the hang of it now that we're more than a month into play. And they can score some points. I actually project this game to be at 63. Do, do I want to fade Brocktober? No, I do not want to fade Brock Purdy in, in the month of October. I do think the number is a little bit high. I think I have this at six for West Virginia. So 10 a little bit high. I would put value on the home dog here. But more importantly, I project this at 63. If I think Iowa State can score, which I do, and I think West Virginia left a whole bunch of points on the table, which they did, then I think the better play here is the over. Fair enough. Um, yeah, and you can always check out Collins' numbers and projections on the Action app. Um, let's move on to the Big Ten here. And guess what? We said it's October. Well, it's October. That means we got weather. We're talking weather. Finally, we have winds. We even have potential snow Saturday night for the FS1 game in Minneapolis. Could have snow for Nebraska, Minnesota. We also have Michigan State, Wisconsin. I'm on Michigan State plus 10.5 here. It, call me a sucker, but that run defense against Wisconsin, and I it's still one of the top two or three run defenses in the country, against Wisconsin in 20 to 25-mile-an-hour winds, potentially, 30 to 35-mile-an-hour wind gusts. I mean, this game might be first to 17 I'm going to look at the under, but catching 10 and a half in this game is way too many. Yeah, Michigan State is definitely built to go up against bruising uh, rush-heavy offenses and not really to spread them out and throw a deep uh, type that Ohio State was doing. So I do think there's a lot of value here in the 10.5. But covering a 10.5-point spread with a, with a total that's 40 and, and this kind of weather and these two kinds of teams, that's going to be tough to do. Plus, take notice of what Jack Cohn did last week uh, you know, for Wisconsin in passing down situations. He didn't have any success whatsoever, and that was one of the big things that we've been watching with Wisconsin. Are they a true national title contender? We know about Jonathan Taylor. We know about the offensive line. The defense has been fantastic this year. But what about Jack Cohn in passing down situations? They're one of the worst in success rate in passing downs. So I think this is just a spot where there's too many points. Uh, I actually power rate the game at nine. But, I mean, considering the weather and, and the fact that, you know, I haven't seen anything out of Cone in, in passing situations, uh, I think Michigan State plus ten and a half is definitely the play. Well, the, the world wants to know, are you fading Minnesota, who is probably the most <laughs> fraudulent 5-0 and in the country? I mean, they started off the year coming back against South Dakota State. Then they had to beat Fresno State in overtime. Then they beat Georgia Southern at home by three. Then they beat Purdue by seven. Score a little misleading. Uh, and then they finally blew out Illinois. The defense has been impressive. If you look at a lot of the underlying numbers with Minnesota. And Nebraska, look, their offense, just every time I try to look at them and dig deeper, the offense looks just uglier and uglier. So, mm-hmm. you know, I had to play, given the potential for wind and snow, I played the under here. Um, I think Minnesota can shut down this Nebraska offense. Are you fading Minnesota taking Nebraska? You're getting a, a touchdown and a hook here. Absolutely should be taking Nebraska, shouldn't I? But for some reason, after I went through the numbers, after I put some more time and some study into this on Monday and Tuesday, I can't even touch them at seven and a half. And I mean, I know that this is way far off our power ratings, but Minnesota's allowed just three rushing attempts to go over 20 yards. They've also allowed just 10 passes to go over 20 yards. That's 10th in the nation. I mean, they're amazing against explosive plays. They don't allow anything to get to behind them whatsoever. They're one of the best in the nation. Both defense should have success in the Havoc department because both of the offensive lines are outside the top 100. I think that's really why I don't like Minnesota. Their offensive line is horrid, but so is Nebraska's. Under definitely is the play here. I don't know how Minnesota covers the 7.5, but I, I just got a feeling it's going to be another one of those Minnesota fraudulent games, and Nebraska's just could be turnover heavy again. I don't know how you can back the Cornhuskers until they're able to protect the ball. I did see something that made me cringe. The only thing that made me cringe that so far this week that came across from your bets on the when I get notified is <laughs> Illinois. Illinois plus 21 and a half against Michigan. I get the spot. You know, they're, right. Michigan's coming off that win against Iowa. They have Penn State on deck. But this Illinois team, I mean, last week against Minnesota, the Nebraska game, they only lost by four, but the, they were completely dominated in that game. And I mean completely the, the total yards were 674 for nebraska to 299 for illinois they barely beat yukon what, what do you see in this illinois team who may be without peters their ex-michigan quarterback uh under center what makes you have faith in uh, illinois yeah. and champagne here Everything was going right last week. We were, uh, Brandon Peters had Illinois going. We were down, Reggie Corbin was running all over the place. We were down just 16 to 10 going into the half. Brandon Peters gets knocked out. And then Matt Robinson, the redshirt freshman, comes in to back up Peters and just was everything you would expect from an Illinois backup redshirt freshman at quarterback. And the good news is they got two others. They got a trio of redshirt freshmen at quarterback, which looks like they're all going to play instead of Brandon Peters. But 
you know, I still can't get around the numbers. Illinois has a top 20 defensive unit in Havoc, and Michigan's offensive line is 68th after that turnover fest that they had with Iowa. Michigan just cannot protect the ball. Uh, and Reggie Corbin, I mean, he should be able to get something going. Michigan's allowing 130 yards on the ground. I like them to cover this huge number. I mean, again, we have a total that's under 50, a total at 49. Michigan's in a look-ahead spot here. They got Penn State next week. Uh, I make the game 20, so anything over 21, I was, I was happy to get into. Again, for some reason, it's just an inflated number. Yeah, and their offense just hasn't done anything outside of the Rutgers game. It just still isn't clicking. Although Iowa does have a legit defense. We'll get to them. All right, let's move on to Conference USA. We have some ugly games in here. I'll mention FAU later in a segment. I also played Southern Miss. Once that got down to three, I had to play them at home against North Texas after a brutal stretch to start the year. I really like this team. I really like their quarterback. And, you know, catching three after a much-needed bye against this North Texas team, I just don't believe in. Oh, and by the way, La Tech, if you want to fade UMass, minus 32 at home <laughs> down there in Reston, Louisiana. I it, One of the funniest things I did this week, I always, from time to time, I'll look at the Sagarin ratings to see who is the highest FCS team and where do they rank among the FBS teams. Like sometimes you'll have North Dakota State is like the, the 20th, the 25th best team in the country. I went to look this week just to see where UMass ranks because it's a ranking of all of the schools, FBS and FCS. So it's like 300 schools. I forget who the worst is. Valparaiso, I think. UMass is like 213th. There's 130 FBS teams. UMass <laughs> is like 213th in the country, including FCS teams. They're ranked worse than Akron, which I don't necessarily agree with, but they're a train wreck. But the game that really interests me when I started digging into this week's card is Army Western Kentucky. Western uh-huh. Kentucky is 3-2, and two, and an impressive 3-2 and two when you consider they opened the season with a a home loss to your boys down there in Conway, Central Arkansas. But then they won at FIU, twenty to fourteen. You know, then they lost to Louisville. Then they beat UAB, twenty to thirteen. And then they went on the road last week against ODU and won twenty to three. If you're catching a theme here, their offense stinks and their defense is playing really <laughs> well. According to Sports Info Solution, yards after contact, Western Kentucky leads the nation against opposing backs. So this Western Kentucky defense playing really well. Their offense can't really do anything at all. But I think that they can actually compete with Army and slow down this option attack. I also don't see them doing much against Army. I expect a really spirited effort from the Army defense after last week's, you know, they just got shredded by Tulane. So I'm looking at the under here. The points with Western Kentucky also looks intriguing. What do you see here with the Hilltoppers? It is a weird game, and I, I did take Western Kentucky plus five. I think we're down to four, four and a half. I, I would still take it there. Maybe on the move, the juice has fallen out. Western Kentucky, for a team that's supposed to be in the cellar of a G5 conference, they've been really good on defense. They shut out Old Dominion last week. They beat UAB and forced ter- four turnovers against the Blazers when they came up to play. Uh, they're 24th in total defense, but they're 15th in opponent rushing yards per attempt. And this is where we get into the handicap of our so when we get to these service academy teams, it's all about can you shut down the triple option? How good are you on the ground? Western Kentucky is really good on the ground. They're 23rd defensively in stuff rate. Uh, opponents have just 27% success rate on third downs. That's 14th in the country for Western Kentucky. Tulane limited Army's a rush attack, uh, and Western Kentucky has better numbers in the trench defensively if you look on fo- football outsiders. So I'm not sure really how they get it done offensively. I know my old quarterback from Arkansas, Ty Stories, down there throwing touchdowns. From a defensive standpoint and stopping the triple option, Western Kentucky's the play. I'm actually looking forward to that Western Kentucky. Hold on. Yeah. Action Network tomorrow. There's going to be a write-up on UAB, UTSA. We're heading back to the well with our roadrunners, but I just want to say there's a Lucha Libra wrestling expedition festival outside of the Alamo Dome before the UAB UTSA game. One of the greatest things I've it's the Mexican wrestlers with the mask, the Rey Mysterio Juniors, the, the the Lucha House Party. Come on, it's the Ocho here. It's fantastic. Uh, sure. Whatever so, you said. In my opinion, that should be where college game day is. Um, all right, let's move on to the Mac. There are some ugly games in the MAC this week, as there are every week. There are some, there's some news with Central Michigan, who's playing New Mexico State this weekend. 0-6 New Mexico State. Central Michigan's a 10-point favorite. It looks like their quarterback, Moore, the transfer from Garden City Community College, has been playing really well. He proved me wrong. I didn't think he was ready yet. He tested positive for banned substance, might be suspended for the year. Dormady is now apparently healthy, so keep your eye on that situation. That's maybe why the line has taken a dive. Kent State. Kent State. 14 and a half point favorites at Akron. <laughs> Kent State. That's how bad it is for Akron. 
I don't see much of the MAC. Do you see anything worth looking at this weekend? What world do we live in where Central Michigan and Kent State are favored by double digits in both of their separate games? Uh, Akron's coming off of a bye. It should be 10 instead of 14, but I don't know how you take Akron. Uh, but, I mean, that is the side that you got to lean on. Uh, I think the New Mexico State number is also a little bit too high. We have Central Michigan minus 8. So uh, if you can swallow the dogs, if you can swallow New Mexico oh. State and you can handle Akron, that's supposed to be the way that you play. Yeah, after what New Mexico State did to me, uh, did to us last weekend, I'm not sure uh, I can swallow that. Hope you're enjoying this great Action Network podcast. I want to make sure you know about the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked On has a daily podcast on your favorite team. Welcome to you, Locked On 49ers. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. Welcome, everybody, to the Locked On Lakers podcast. Let's go. Locked On podcasts are hosted by the local experts who know your team better than anyone and give you the inside scoop. So go to your podcast app and search Locked On, your favorite team. Subscribe to your Locked On podcast. All right, let's get out of the Mac before I vomit. Uh, some of those games, looking at them this week, was absolutely disgusting. Uh, let's quickly move on to the Mountain West. I played Air Force at minus three. I was shocked this line came back down to minus three. I think it was a three in the hook. One of the things that I re- that really made me want to bet Air Force against Fresno is Fresno, number one, their offensive line has been bad. Air Force should dominate the trenches. But Fresno has three new starters at linebacker, and they've been out of position constantly all year and that's what you cannot do against the option i think that's going to be a big factor uh in getting the air force win i took minus three i have not been a believer in this fresno team all year air force had some bad fumble luck but they should dominate the trenches and laying only a field goal at home i had to take them uh do you see anything in that game or anything else in the mountain west no, Air Force is the play. Fresno's 80th in line yards on defense, 106th in opportunity rate, 105th in power success on defense. Fresno cannot hang in the trenches. Unless Air Force pulls some San Jose State bullshit, this should be a fine cover. Uh, Hawaii-Boise, I don't have a play on Hawaii-Boise just because the number, I think, is spot on. So it's a complete watch and learn because this could be the conference championship game. Yeah, with Boise State, I think this is a really good matchup for them. You know, they have two of the best corners in the conference. Bachmeyer and company should just score at will. And I think that Boise will get some stops with their pass defense and pressure. So yeah, I don't think Boise State's going to have any trouble with Hawaii. And the only other game I'll mention, I'll have a write-up on this, is Wyoming-San Diego State. I can't figure out this line. I don't know what I'm missing. Look, Wyoming's 4-1, and one, but they've been in a complete fraud. Nothing they've done has impressed me. They cannot throw the ball. Their completion percentage on the year I believe is 36.7%. Only 54% of their passes are on target. Only New Mexico is worse. <laughs> you know, so these are two top five run defenses. San, San Diego State's th- number three in the nation. They're allowing 1.81 yards per carry. 46 yards on the ground. That leads the nation per game. So, you know, these are also two top 25 red zone defenses. San Diego State will be able to th- throw it more than Wyoming will. Wyoming won't be all Wyoming could do is run the ball. That is it. They cannot. They're one of the worst passing offenses I've ever seen in my entire life. But if you look at the the difference between these defenses, you can throw on Wyoming. You can hit some explosive Uh plays down the field on Wyoming. And Wyoming hasn't played anybody. They played UNLV, Idaho, Tulsa, Texas State, and then got a prayer win over Missouri. They were outgained by about eight billion. Um, So, you know, I think San Diego State will be able to hit some big plays down the field. They'll limit any explosive runs. Uh, San Diego State's explosive rush defense is outstanding. And Wyoming's on 73 passes of 10-plus yards. That's third most in the mm-hmm. nation. I don't know how Wyoming scores against the San Diego State without fluky Wyoming things, but I have to play San Diego State. I threw them in a money line probably with Boise, and I'm waiting to get if it gets down to three, and I'll play them again. Over-under is 38. Uh, if I had to play the total, and I may, I'd look at the under. I don't know how Wyoming scores. I actually I, I was going to take a look at the over. I mean, it's it's uh, I project this out to 45 and I can tell you why it's projected out to 45. And that's because of the number of snaps San Diego State is playing this year versus last year. I know that it's not Fair. at least 10, at least it's not 10, but they are a more uptempo offense than they were last year. That equals more possessions, more chances to score. And if you look at Wyoming, their defensive pass yards that they've given up 354 to Tulsa, 394 to Texas State, 423 to Mizzou. What a joke it was that they got that game. Uh, so. I mean, San Diego State's going to be able to throw on these guys, uh, you know, not probably not for as much, but I mean, they did put up 293 against UCLA and 281 against Utah State. Expect after all the fireworks are done during Saturday and we get settled in for the last couple games of the night, I'll probably have an over on this game. 
Um, all right, let's move on to the Pac-12. We'll get to Oregon-Colorado on Friday Night Lights. A really interesting game to me is Washington State-Arizona State. Uh, Arizona State is getting a couple starters in the defensive backfield this weekend. They also are getting healthier along the offensive line. Washington State had a much-needed buy after getting blown out against Utah. They fired their defensive coordinator. They moved some guys around in the secondary to new positions that they played last year. We'll see what that does to their defense, where if you, it's their defense, no matter where you look, is disgusting, beyond bad. So, you know, looking at this game, it's a 12-30 local kick in Tempe. Arizona State getting healthier offensive line back in the secondary makes me want to take Arizona State, but it's the Pac-12, and after Washington State has been written off and with a new defensive coordinator and, you know, moving guys around, maybe they play inspired. So I, I think I might ultimately have to stay away from that game. Do you see anything there? No, I project it right at where it's at at minus one. So, uh, you know, nothing here for me. I think it's going to be back and forth and probably something happens, you know, within the last minute to decide the game. Yep. Also, big punting edge for Arizona State. i got to get my special teams shout-outs in there. And Arizona State's been awesome in the red zone. Speaking of bad defenses in Washington, I can't believe I'm about to say this. Washington's defense, and we're both on Arizona, the more I Uh dig, the more I find out it stinks. I mean, they have no. this is the worst run defense that Peterson has ever had at Washington. Now, they lost a ton of pro talent. And you think, all right, Washington should be able to plug and play some guys. They get really good recruits. But it hasn't been working out. Um, Arizona, this is true, Pac-12 after dark territory, 11 p.m. kick, 11 p.m. Eastern kick. Uh, Arizona, who switched to a 3-3-5, their defenses are playing a little better after doing that. Their offense looked fantastic. Tate threw for over 400 yards against Colorado. Yeah, take it with a grain of salt. But I think that they'll be able to run on this Washington team, catching six at home, Pac-12 after dark. I have to roll with the Wildcats in Tucson. Uh, You agree there? Yeah, absolutely. I'm on Arizona. Got some money down on Arizona for this game. Five and a half, clipping at one book that we're looking at right now. Washington has just been so terrible on defense. The problems on both sides of the ball, actually. They had a lightning delay and some bad breaks. I guess you could blame that for the reason that they lost to Cal. But, you know, they allowed almost 500 yards to Stanford and David Mills last week. That's super impressive. Uh, Those are two games that, you know, they've lost to the Pac-12 already. Stanford being on the road. Uh, Washington's defense is 103rd in line yards, 119th in power success rate 106th and stuff rate everybody's able to run on them i mean those are some pretty terrible numbers i guess some teams that aren't really that good at running the ball i mean passing wise the secondary is outside the top 75 and passes that are over 20 yards you can throw on these guys uh, we know chase garbers did easton i hate to return back to june and july form where i was throwing him under the bus but he's been inefficient they're outside the top 40 in success rate and passing outside the top 75 and passing down success rate wildcats just aren't they're just not explosive let's talk about you know khalil tate offensively in Arizona. They're just not explosive. They're atomic. I mean, they're ranking top 10 and passes over 50 yards. Forget the 20-yard mark. Forget the explosive play measurement. These guys are hitting 40 and 50-yard passes like there's no tomorrow. Washington ranks 80th in red zone points per attempt. That means I think Arizona is going to be able to score from any point in the field. They've proven that already. Washington, when they get to the red zone, they're 80th in red zone points per attempt. I mean, it's just been a struggle for them to keep other teams from getting on the board, and it's been a struggle for them to get points on the board. Uh, And, you know, personally, I wouldn't mind if Washington won this game because if you take a look at the standings, if Arizona gets this and wins as an underdog, they're 3-0 and in, in Pac-12 play. I mean, that bets them at the leaderboard for the South. And, I, you know, we have a little bit of futures, a little bit of money on another team in the South to win. Uh, so, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Arizona wins this game outright, though. True Pac-12 after dark. I'm sure there'll be a lot of people betting on that game at 11 p.m. Eastern. All right, let's move on to the SEC. Um, well, I guess it's time for you to lie to me and you're going to tell me about how you're not going to bet the Arkansas-Kentucky game. Kentucky is a seven-point favorite here in Lexington. Both teams off of buys. Both teams really need a win. They're sitting at two and three. One thing that I will bring up for this game, it looks like Sewer Smith will go for Kentucky. You know, there was talk about maybe Lynn Bowden go, going to wide receiver for Kentucky, playing quarterback. Um, who He did that against South Carolina, the electric athlete. But it looks like Sawyer Smith will go. How healthy is he? I don't know. But the one thing I wanted to bring up with Kentucky is the punting advantage they will have in this game. Max Duffy, the 26-year-old Australian, has been ridiculous. He's averaging 49.26 yards net 
per punt. That's number one in the nation. That's more than Syracuse, who I thought would lead the nation, and they're not too far behind. Arkansas, we've talked about their special teams woes you know, for the last two years. They're at 110th in the nation and 35 net yards. That's a difference of 15 yards per punt. The one thing I tell blindly is our, uh, Colin, Arkansas football recommendations. Buy or Listen, sell, doesn't matter. But t- tell me, are you betting this? Woo, pig suey. Absolute dumpster fire, dumpster fire. I don't know how we win a game the rest of the year. Just blow the program up. Give us a death sentence. Collins talking Razorback football. Well, first off, I can't swallow Kentucky with a field goal. I mean, Sawyer Smith and his health, but Stoops made mention this week they're going to go to the Wildcat formation with Lynn Bowden a little bit more. I'm not really sure Arkansas knows exactly what they should be preparing for, uh, so that kind of puts them at a disadvantage. At the same time, I'm not sure how well Kentucky's going to be able to execute. Uh, and you're right about the punting and the special teams. The special teams always been bad for Arkansas. It hasn't improved. Maybe hire a special teams coach. Maybe get a coach. I don't know. Just a suggestion. It's hard to back either one of them. Arkansas is slightly more positive in yards per play differential. So I was I was trying to get into it. I was trying to convince myself, bet on Arkansas, on the road, getting seven points, and then I read Nick Starkles throwing an interception for every nine pass attempts. That's insane. That's crazy. It's a really tough game to handicap, and, and I'm just fine with not betting it at all. All right, fine. We'll wait for the play to come through on the app. I'm going to guess Kentucky minus seven at like 11.30 a.m. after your first couple drinks. Um, All right, let's move on to the five marquee games of the weekend. It's another fabulous weekend of college football. Let's check out the marquee matchups we'll all end up betting for week seven. Let's start with Notre Dame, USC. I think we disagree on this game, or at least your number says so. Um, I played USC plus 11. Now, one thing to note, we said it's October. We can have weather that comes into play. The wind could be a factor. Well, it's hard projecting this far out. Just something worth noting. But I do want to say here, I think that USC, who's going to get Slovis back, and look, the Fink thing worked well against Utah when he was just bombing the ball, but he made so many bad reads, <laughs> especially against Washington. Getting Slovis back will help, at quarterback, will help that offense. They have three dynamite receivers. Last year, those three dynamite receivers had 29 catches for 305 yards against Notre Dame. Well, Notre Dame had a uh, love who went to the NFL at corner, and their senior corner, Sean Crawford, is now out. So I think USC is going to be able to throw on this team. Um, I think they're going to be able to move the ball down the field unless the wind gets to like 20, 25 miles per hour. But this Notre Dame secondary is now undermanned, uh, and I think USC can take advantage. I think they keep this within 11 points. What do you see? I do like Notre Dame. I'm more leaning towards Notre Dame in the first half. So Slovis does return a quarterback to do the air raid. And if there's one thing that you know about air raid offenses, because Mike Leach says this all the time, I hate bye weeks. He hates bye weeks. And it's because of the timing between his quarterback and his wide receivers. And when they get into and game mode, off a bye week, by the way, it's another one to throw back there. Mike Leach. I mean, he has one of the worst records, you know, for a long time he did against, uh, I guess a spread off of a bye week. I think the, I think the odds makers have adjusted themselves for this, but air raids off of a bye week. I'm not really looking to back because of the timing in the sink. So Notre Dame's 11th and havoc. Uh, that's mostly thanks to tackles for loss. Uh, USC ranks in the 60s for power success and stuff rate on offense. And both the offensive line for USC is 17th in sack rate and Notre Dame sack rate is 17th on defense. So pretty good matchup there. But I mean, as far as Notre Dame secondary, they're fifth in allowing just nine passes over 20 yards. They're 12th in passing defense success rate. But I think I want to play the first half. I want to play against the fact that USC is an air raid offense coming off of a bye week, could be a little bit out of sync. And I like the fact that Notre Dame has been so successful in the Havoc department and they've been good at defending explosive plays. Yeah, I mean, look, I just think that Notre Dame is going to play a lot of off coverage, especially without Crawford as a fifth-year senior. Um, and I think USC is going to be able to move the sticks, especially without Fink out there just not making any reads. I think that helps. Notre Dame has been awesome in the red zone on offense, but USC's defense has been ridiculous in the red zone, which I think, you know, holding them to a couple field goals will also be a big factor. So I'll be against you there, but maybe you get the cover in the first half and I get the cover for the game. All right, let's move on to the Red River rivalry. It's no longer the shootout between Texas and Oklahoma in Dallas. This line is sitting right around Oklahoma minus 10 and a half over unders floating between 74 and 76. I have gone back and forth on this game, and we all know Tom Herman, 13-3 and three against the spread as a dog as a head coach. He's covered this game. Texas has covered this game, I think, six years in a row. Um, and look, the more I look at this game, here's what I think it comes down to. 
Oklahoma, we I talked about this before the year. Their offensive line has helped that offense and you know be elite the last couple of years. It helped them get two Heisman Trophy winners. And they lost a ton of talent along that offensive line. Well, now, this weekend, they're going to be potentially without both starting offensive tackles. So Texas faces a dilemma. Their pass defense has been really bad. And, you know, if Oklahoma's without both tackles, do they just tr- say, look, we're not going to be able to stop them downfield. Let's try and bring a ton of pressure and throw Hurts off his game. I think that's the right way to go. If Oklahoma's two tackles are out and Todd Orlando draws off a ton of pressure and blitz and, and goes after Hurts, I think that Texas's defense has a shot. Now, Oklahoma's still going to get their points, but so will Texas. Their offensive line is playing well. I don't even think they're going to try and run it much. El- Ellinger will be their running game. Um, but their re- Colin Johnson's back. Their receivers are dynamic. Oklahoma hasn't played anyone. Yeah, their defense looks improved, but can we see it against a real offense? This Texas offense has been rolling. Ellinger's been rolling. You know, I think they're number one in the nation in third down conversions. They're top three in red zone touchdown percentage. So the more I look at it, I start to convince myself on Texas. But I really think it comes down to what Texas decides to do on defense because if they don't come out after Hurts. Their secondary, I don't think, can hold up with all their injuries. They have, I think, three starters still out. Uh, what do you see here with Texas, Oklahoma? Because, but by the way, Texas is like, if you look at explosive plays allowed in the passing game, they're way at the bottom. And Oklahoma's obviously way at the top. So they have to find a way to not let that happen. Uh, what do you see right. here in the Red River rivalry? Yeah, I see Texas's third down conversion percentage being second in the nation, but Oklahoma's third. So, I mean, they, I mean, Oklahoma's got a lot of good points. But to me, I wanted to be a little bit different. You can hear the same old garbage about, you know, trends and, and this rivalry. Like, it doesn't matter. These aren't the same players from four years ago. These aren't the same coaches. Just throw all that out the window. To me, the handicap comes down to three areas. Hurts read option against the defensive ends of Texas. Texas' running backs and their explosiveness because OU can be beat and get gashed on the ground. And OU's corners and how they handle Duvernay and Johnson. So let's start with the first one. Which one is Hurts' read option versus the defensive ends? The book is out against Jalen Hurts. The way to stop him and the way Clemson was able to do it is if you have good defensive ends that are athletic, they can stop Jalen Hurts from running the read option, whether he decides to hand it off, whether he decides to keep it, and where he makes his cuts. Malcolm Roach and Taquan Graham will be the starters at end, and they have just 13 solo tackles and one one sack combined between them through all of Texas' games this year. I think they had like two tackles total against Joe Burrow and a similar kind of read option going on. Neither player had any kind of effect on Joe Burrow's game whatsoever, and the one example that we have where they played a, you know, a high-end team, a high-end opponent. So I don't think Roach and Graham are going to be any good at defensive end. I think Jalen Hurts is going to get the corner, get the edge, and get the read that he wants every single time. So, advantage for Oklahoma. Where I would just agree with you, though, is if both tackles are out. It could get messy. And I haven't been able to handicap the backups run blocking, but uh, the the offensive line coach for Oklahoma is considered to be one of the best in the nation. So, hopefully, they'll they'll figure that out. But it is a good point that if the tackles are out, that might take it away there. But, I mean, the other handicap is Texas running backs and if they have any kind of explosiveness against the OUD. It's just something that is not a part of Keontae Ingram's game. Uh, he, He has not been able to break anything. I think his biggest run this year was a 26-yarder against Rice. 4.7 yards per carry. Hasn't had a run over 20 yards since that Rice game. Uh, Ellinger really represents the best chance to expose OU's rush defense. Exactly how many yards can he run for, right? And then the third kind of handicap to the whole thing was OU's corners versus DuVernay and Johnson, which I'm just shocked. DuVernay's not dropped a pass since 2017. That's amazing. That's just a crazy stab. With Johnson back out wide, that means DuVernay's going to move into the slot. They're going to be able to abuse OU's corners, but if you look at OU, their defense they haven't given up any explosive runs whatsoever this season. So I expect Ingram to not be able to do anything from the backfield. But as far as the secondary goes, they are improved. I don't want to say they're good, but they're not last year. Last year, they were flat out statues. The secondary was terrible. They couldn't stop anybody from going downfield and catching the ball. This season, OU's kind of mid-pack. Uh, you know, OU is dead last in passes of 10 yards last year. Dead last in all of FBS. This year, they're 44th and passes allowed over 10 yards. They are showing a little bit of resistance. So I think there's a lot of advantages in Jalen Hurts and his read option. I don't think Keontae Ingram is going to be a factor as a running back with explosive plays. And I think that the OU defense in the secondary is improved just enough, just enough 
to make this more of an even fight than it was last year. So I like Oklahoma in this game, and I like Oklahoma big. I'm waiting on the 10. I think we're going to get a 10. I think the market's starting to come in. There's some more Texas money coming in on this 10 and a half. And any 10 that pops up, I'm going to play Oklahoma. If I was doing some sort of points bet thing, or if I, if I could get it, and I had to have an, uh, you know, I think we're going to have an overdog segment. Oklahoma is the one that I like the most as far as the favorite goes. Maybe against you there. We'll have a big write up for that on the Action app and ActionNetwork.com. A couple of things I'll just mention quickly. Oklahoma penalties have been a major issue. They need yes. to clean that up. They're tied with Miami for second most penalty yards per game. Only Tulsa's worse. They're averaging over 90 penalty yards per game. And like I said before, Texas pass defense, is, as far as yards per game, 126th in the nation. And they're 122nd in passing down sack rate. They've allowed 67 passes of 10-plus yards. That's bottom 10 in the nation. Oklahoma has 67. That's top 10 in the nation. So they, Texas has to do something on defense. They have to scheme something up. I think it has to be pressure on those ends uh, to get Hurts off his game and force him into mistakes. I think that's the only way. If they try and sit back with all these defensive backs, it's not going to go well. Uh, so maybe I'll wait to see how they're playing it live, but we'll have more in the write-up. Uh, let's move on to LSU. Florida, uh, Saturday night, Death Valley. LSU sitting at about 13.5-point favorite. I will say this right away. This whole, oh, my God, it's Death Valley on a Saturday night. You have to bet LSU. Because of that Because of that narrative, it's one of the most overrated home fields in all of college football. Is it a great home field and atmosphere? Yes, but we're talking about covering spreads. LSU, I think, is like 34 and 41 against the spread at home when they play it in primetime since 2005. Uh, So it's not all scary. I mean, it is, but it's it's baked into the line and already accounted for. So don't just play LSU because they're playing at home uh, in Death Valley on Saturday night. Look, I just want to throw this out there. I If this gets to 14, I might have to take Florida. I think we're going to disagree here. But I think Florida's uh-huh. being a little disrespected here. It's how does Trask handle Death Valley? I mean, this is a kid who hasn't started since his freshman year of high school. He was the backup to Derek King, and then he was backing up Franks and took over the job. He's done a pretty good job so far, but this is a whole different atmosphere. Um, but they have the receivers. But I just want to throw this out. Maybe this LSU pass offense – and Joe Burrow's improved. It's a new offense. It's electric. The coach on the football field, we're about to see what Joe Burrow's really made of. And anybody that knows our team, we're made of grit. But maybe it's just being overvalued a little bit in the market. Let me throw this out to you. Their past defenses that they played this year are all outside the top 100. All of them. Even Texas, who's near the bottom. They haven't played anyone who can defend the pass. Last year, Joe Burrow played 13 games. Now, granted, he's better, but in, in a different offensive system with better weapons. But... 13 games last year, seven of them were against top 25 pass defenses, which can, that's a lot, seven out of 13, which can explain some of his struggles. But of in those seven games, you know, it includes La Tech, Miami, Auburn, Georgia, Miss State, Alabama, he had one touchdown, four picks, about a 51% completion rating, averaged about 184 yards per game. When he didn't face a top 25 pass defense, six games, 15 touchdowns, one pick, you know, 270 yards per game, 66% completion percentage. So he hasn't played a, a pass defense like Florida since last year when he played all those top 25 pass defenses. Look, yeah, you're going to read that he's been great against the pressure, number one, but he's played nobody. He's played no pass defenses so far. He has significantly improved. The LSU offense and LSU overall is real. I'm not saying it's not. I'm saying I think it might be a little overvalued in the market. And this Florida defense, which is excellent, and they're going to pressure they're going to they're gonna get to the quarterback and cover on the outside. Grantham's going to be super aggressive. Might be getting a little disrespected here. That's all I'm saying. But LSU is real. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying as far as the line is concerned. What do you see here with LSU Florida? Well, I agree with you that Florida is, is the best that LSU is ever going to see. And I agree with you that LSU is a little inflated. I mean, everybody's hopping on this train now that Joe Brady's made them one of the best offenses in the nation. But at the same time, I mean, I make the game 13 and a half and Florida's got, I don't care about the home field advantage. I mean, I don't think that affects the defense that much anyways for Florida. What I think matters is that this is their second big game in a row. And that's just tough to do in the SEC, just time after time after time. We've seen these years where it's tough for teams to play these high profile games twice in a row. LSU can throw the ball downfield. Auburn cannot throw the ball downfield. LSU can throw the ball downfield. Now, I think Joe Burrow is going to get stopped, and I think Joe Burrow is going to get limited uh, at some point. But the Gators are 78th and passes over 20 yards allowed, and LSU is second in the nation and passes over 20 yards. So this is a very explosive offense going up against a defense that, not even mid-pack, they've kind of fallen back. Bo Nix just couldn't take advantage of that. 
Bo Nix cannot thread it down the middle. Joe Burrow absolutely can. So while I think the Gators' defense is going to get theirs, I think they're going to get hit by a couple of explosive plays also, which is how Florida beat Auburn. Two plays that had some really bad tackling. Uh, you know, the coverage was there, just some really bad tackling, and players were able to break, break loose and get some points on the board. I think after seeing Auburn, who's only 41st in Havoc, and their back seven, their secondary, it's just going to be a different thing with LSU secondary. The LSU secondary is going to be much faster, much more aggressive than what they saw in Auburn secondary last week. So I think the number is spot on correct. It's not a huge investment for me. I am on LSU minus 13. If you, I think that the game actually comes down to 13. I think Florida plus 14 would probably win. But I like the fact that this is I'm taking the team with the more explosive offense, the team that has the better havoc on defense, and the team that's better at havoc allowed on offense. So, And for me, that's LSU. And I think the, the market's fair. It's at the right number. But I'm going to back the Tigers here. I might be against you, especially if this goes 14. I hope Florida doesn't even try to run it. And I was screaming it against Auburn. LSU's first in the nation in power success rate. That's on defense. That measures runs on third or fourth and short that achieve mm-hmm. first down. So I hope they don't even try to run it. Just the, the short passes are an extension of the running game. Um, and that's all they do. But look, Edo or Dan Mullen? Mm, something to consider. All right. Let's move on here and talk about Alabama A&M. We'll go through this quickly. We all stuff on this on the app and actionnetwork.com. I think this was too many points. I grabbed 17 and a half as soon as I saw it. Alabama, we could finally talk about them. They haven't played anybody all year. They have questions on that defense and the interior and at linebacker. Questions on the interior offensive line. They gave up, what, like 250 rushing yards to Ole Miss? It's, you know, if you look at Ole Miss and South Carolina, the two SEC games they've played, they're allowing, they allowed, I think, 450 yards rushing in those two games and like 4.8 a pop. So, you know, Texas A&M, there's no rush offense to speak of, which is the only scary thing. Their corners have been playing really well. I think they're seventh in the nation in yards per pass attempt allowed. You know, obviously they have a great home field. Mond, I think, is going to be able to do a lot of things with his legs. I think that's going to be the key to the game off the edge. And the special teams advantage for A&M is enormous. They may be the best punter in the country. Alabama's punting is a joke. Their field goal kicking, a joke. Um, it's saving special teams. So basically, Texas A&M Super Bowl. They've already lost two games to Auburn, to Clemson. And, you know, I like what their pass defense did against Clemson. But this is their Super yeah. Bowl at home against Alabama off a of bye. And then they're going to go slow. They're going to grind it. They're going to run the clock, which makes it harder for Alabama to cover this big of a number. Now, look, Alabama is probably the most explosive pass offense in the country. But I just think this is too many points at 17 or above. Let me get closer to two touchdowns. I'll take A&M, and I think this might have a chance to get a little scary for Alabama if A&M can get a quick score early and keep that crowd in it, which they didn't do against Auburn. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. So I may try to get a 17 and a half here as we get off this because I think the number is going to come down. I make it 13 and a half, so the number is a little inflated. But as far as the whole can they upset Alabama, let me just make this straight. A team with a heavy rush attack can beat Alabama, and that's not Texas A&M. Can Texas A&M keep it close? They limited Trevor Lawrence. Bo Nix only went for 106. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they've been great in defensive pass explosiveness. They rank 23rd in the nation in that category. Aggies have allowed just four passes to go over 20 yards. So can they limit to it? Yes, to a point. Uh, can they limit them enough to cover? Yes, they can. So can they upset them? I don't think so. Fair enough. Let's move on to Penn State, Iowa. Saturday night, Kinnick, Magic. We all know how they've done against, what, top 10 teams that think they're 4-4 four and four at Kinnick at night. Now, they've only lost one game by over three points. Look, Iowa, these are going to be healthy for the first time all year. They're, I think they're going to have their opening day, opening game roster fully healthy for the first time since week one. You know, they're going to get their defense tackle back their entire secondary. Their offensive line was a mess last week, but they have two first round potential offensive tackles. Larrick Johnson was rusty in his first game back. I think their offensive line will play significantly better against a ferocious Penn State front seven. Look, Iowa's defense is legit. Their offense was just sloppy, turnovers, penalties, all uncharacteristic. I think this is a coin flip game. I took four in a second, a heartbeat. Penn State still, you know, has a lot to prove to me. They're way better than I thought after what I saw against Maryland. But this is an excellent Iowa defense, great offensive line, experienced quarterback with a you know freshman QB for Penn State going into Kinnick at night. I'm on Iowa plus four. You like it or not? 
Yeah, I like it. I mean, they beat themselves last week, uh, you know, and Iowa has not allowed their only team in the nation that is not allowed to rush over 20 yards a season. The only team in the nation. That's very impressive. Uh, I make this game more closer to a pick. I think I make a Penn State minus one. Penn State really hasn't played anybody. They have a yards per play differential. that's close to four. I uh, love the defense. The defense is legit. Both teams are top 10 in red zone scoring percentage. So there may be an overbet come in on this because both teams are converting every time they get past the 20 yard, 20 yard line. Yep. And keep your eye on on the weather you know we could have wind it's going to depend by a couple hours but you know it's at some periods during the day on saturday in iowa city there's winds going to be like 25 miles per hour consistently might die down at night but we'll have you covered on the action app um all right before we get out of here uh, let's go three and out one two three let's make it a quick three and out let's start on first down and talk friday night lights let's hear it gentlemen clear eyes Full hearts. Let's go play some football. I know a lot of people are very, very interested to know why you're backing your boy, Dan Enos. I'll start in in that Miami-Virginia game. Miami, two, two two-and-a-half point favorite, over-under down to 43. I'm on the under. Just like I was on the under in the Syracuse game in a game that I thought both defensive lines would dominate, I think the same thing's going to happen on Friday night in Miami. Look, Miami's been a dumpster fire for one reason, their offensive line. It has been awful. They are 130th in passing down sack rate. They've allowed the most sacks in the country, 25. Their sack percentage, it's at an asinine 14.71%. Only USF is worse. They've allowed 45 tackles for loss. That's bottom 10 of the nation. Why is that bad against Virginia? Well, they bring a ton of pressure. They obviously have Bryce Hall in the corner and he can lock down a receiver, and that enables him to do a lot up front. They bring pressure from all over. Virginia is actually second in the nation with 4.8 sacks per game, trailing only Penn State. They lead FBS with 93 hurries, tied with Temple and UCF, and they lead the country with 130 pressures. They're top five in passing down sack rate. So they should just be in the backfield all day. Now Perry is getting the start for Miami, which I think is good since he can scramble more. I think that's going to have to be a lot of Miami's offense. But on the flip side, Virginia's offensive line has really struggled as well. And that's not good against Miami's defensive front. Virginia is also outside the top 100 in almost all the categories I mentioned for Miami's offensive line. And Miami's just elite at getting in the backfield. These are also two top 10 rush defenses. So I don't know how either team's really going to move the ball. You have two questionable field goal kickers on top of that. I will say, and I'll let you get it on your argument here, you know, to, to back Miami, you're buying them at a good spot. You're buying them low because of their record. And look, they lost a game to North Carolina. They outgained them by 100. They lost to Vatek. They turned it over, I don't know, four times in the first four plays or whatever it was. They outgained them by a ton. So, you know, they've had some bad luck, but I just feel more comfortable with the under. I lean Miami. Maybe I'll add them. But I just think this is a defensive rock fight. What do you see? You may be cussing out Nikosi Perry pretty quick tomorrow night if this thing doesn't stay under. So, I, yeah, the, the, the game guide that we made for this, I started off by saying there will be blood. Both these offensive lines are outside the top 100 in sack rate, and both the two defenses are top 25 in havoc. I mean, it's going to be ugly. The new turnover change uh, that didn't come out at the last home game, that should uh, make an appearance here. So this week, Jaron Williams, uh, you know, he left practice. We didn't know his health. Uh, he had a really rough game. He had to be relieved by Nikosi Perry. We don't know if it was inefficiency. And Nikosi Perry looked better than decent, better than the guy, the freshman that we remember last year that was, you know, had the ball on the carpet. I remember that North Carolina game. I think he put the ball on the ground at least six times. So he had 422 yards, threw for four TDs and just had a single INT. That's not the Nikosi Perry that we're used to. I know it's a one-game sample, and he's a year older, and he's going to get the start here because we don't know if it's injury. They say it's an upper body extremity. But the thing that shocked me out of all these stats that I dumped, because I'm not looking to back Danny Nose. I never am. But the Hurricanes are 11th in passing yards per game. They're 12th in receptions of greater than 20 yards. Miami's an explosive pass offense. That's something I didn't – I mean, we haven't said that in years, not since you and I went and saw them play. We, You and I were in Vegas at the win watching them play Wisconsin in the Orange Bowl. We haven't seen uh, an explosive passing unit out of the Hurricanes in quite some time. But here they are, uh, you know, with some pretty – you know, stats that kind of were eye-popping about how far they've been able to throw down the field. Now, is that Jaron Williams? Is that Danny Enos' game plan? All I know is Nikosi Perry came in relief and still threw for 422 yards. And if you look at Virginia's front seven, they're fantastic at stopping the run, one of the best in the nation at sack rate. They're going to tear this offensive line apart. But they're one of the lowest rates in ACC defensively when it comes to containing pass explosiveness. They have been hit deep. Uh, You know, you could argue that 
that was going against Ian Book or some of the better quarterbacks. But, I mean, Virginia has given up the big pass, and that's what Miami's been. And, and if you listen to this, you know, podcast, you know, for the last few years, you know, if there's an explosiveness factor that one team can exploit, it's usually the side that I'm going to bet on. And if Nikosi Perry can please, for the love of God, when I have money on you, not turn the ball over, then this should be a, this should be a ticket I can take to the window. Let's move on to Pac-12 after dark on Friday night, and that's Oregon, Colorado, 10 p.m. Eastern in Eugene. Oregon's a 21-point favorite. Look, this number looks large on the surface, you know, for an Oregon team that's just not really scoring. They're just shutting everyone down. They've allowed one touchdown in four games since the Auburn game. Their defense is playing just outrageously good, just at a level that we don't usually see in the Pac-12, sometimes from Washington. But this, I mean, they're just excellent against the pass, excellent against the run. The Colorado defense is the complete opposite. Oregon is allowing, get this, 3.9 for play. Right? That's top five in the nation. Colorado's almost three full yards, yards higher, 6.8. That's 122nd of the country. They're allowing 9.5 yards per pass attempt. That's bottom five in the country. Arizona threw for 400 last week against them. You know, they've allowed 23 passes of 20-plus yards. That's bottom 20 in the nation. They're one of only five teams to allow five, at least five completions of 50-plus yards. That's, you know, them, Georgia Southern, UCLA, and Eastern Michigan, right around five. And then New Mexico's allowed 10 somehow. Um, you know, so it's just really bad. Even when they won against Colorado State in their opener, they gave up 505 yards and were outgained in that game. And it's not just all Mel Tucker's fault. They lost a ton of pieces from their defense last year, and they've been crushed by injuries. Uh-huh. You know, their, their best player in the secondary, Onu, he's questionable. He went down against Arizona. So did Jalen Sammy. That was their fourth and fifth starters, opening day starters that they've lost on defense. Mustafa Johnson, you know, Aaron Maddox, their free safety, cornerback Chris Miller. Last week against Arizona, one of their – a guy who was playing safety in the second half is a kid who was competing for the quarterback position in camp. It's a mess. If these guys can't go – and Mel Tucker doesn't say anything about injuries. Nope. So, if, if these guys can't go and Chenault doesn't go, the star wide receiver for Colorado, I'm laying it with Oregon. Oregon's offense – is due for a breakout game. They got all the receivers back last week. They were a little rusty, and they were going against an excellent Cal secondary. Second game back, if all these guys from Colorado can't go, this is a Herbert game where he goes off, the Oregon offense explodes uh, against this Colorado defense. It just has nothing if all these guys can't play, and if they're also missing Chenault, who's one of the most explosive receivers in the Pac-12. So it, it is dependent on injuries, but I'll be playing Oregon if all those guys are out. What do you say? Yeah, and I think the line is already incorporating that in because I make the yes. line fifty. Yeah, I make the line fifteen and a half, and now we've steamed up to twenty-one as of this recording. I wouldn't be surprised to see it steam a little bit farther because there is a ton of money that has come in on Oregon. It's a reason why that uh, the number has gotten that high, and I think they assume Chenault and then the players on defense are out. I don't know how to make a case for Colorado. I could say the line is inflated. I could tell you that they're top twenty-five in third-down conversion, they're top thirty-five in red zone scoring percentage, but you got to actually get into the red zone against Oregon. That's the problem. I can sit here and tell you that they're number one. In the country in field goal percentage, maybe because their kicker is like 33. Uh, I can tell you that Oregon is like 128th in field goal percentage. Uh, it's really hard for me to make a case for Colorado. All I can say is the line is completely inflated. This is probably the toughest offense that Oregon's had to face. I mean, that being said, I, I, I believe from a total offense perspective, Auburn, Cal, Stanford, Nevada, they're all outside the top 50. Colorado ranks 40th in total, in total offense. So, you know, I know if they're missing Chenault, that's a big piece. So those are the only things I can say to back it. I, you know, if Oregon comes out stale, I mean, that first half against Cal, zero points, three turnovers, missed field goal. They have another one of those. I mean, Colorado's defense isn't near as good as Cal's, but, you know, if they just can't seem to get off the mark again, then this is going to be closer than 21 points. Uh, But it should be maybe a low investment as, you know, these injuries can play just a big factor here. But, you know, you're right about Herbert. He he needs to get – he needs to have a – what would we call a get-healthy game because they didn't have that last week. And you want to be firing on all cylinders as you go into Washington. All right. Um, All right, so let's move on to second down and go with our favorite overdog. It's called the overdog parlay. For those that are new listeners, that is our favorite favorite. Uh, look, I hate it, but I'm going with Lane Kiffin and Florida Atlantic. The line got down to 10, and I had to take it. This is a great spot for Florida Atlantic against a completely fraudulent Middle Tennessee State team. Uh, that it's a, They're allowing 6.7 yards per play. That's 120th in the nation. We thought this team was going to be bad, and they've been bad. Last week, they got a win, beat Marshall. Marshall's playing without their top receivers. Kind of Marshall's kind of a mess right now. But in that game, Middle Tennessee State, as five-point dogs, won 24-13. Marshall only scored 13 points. 
The total yardage, Marshall had 579 yards, 7.1 yards per play. Somehow only scored 13 points. Uh, they were, well, they won, they've lost a fumble. They had three picks. They were 0 for 4 in the red zone. Uh, they were 2 for 6 on fourth down. Just a comedy of errors for Marshall and Middle Tennessee State won. This defense is atrocious. You know, look, they beat Tennessee State 45-26. They got blown out at home by Duke. and They got blown out by Iowa. Big Florida Atlantic off of a bye here. Uh, just blows this game open. They have reason to want to blow this open as well. And I think their offense will do well against this just awful Middle Tennessee State defense. Yeah, last year, Middle Tennessee State won 25-24 in Murfreesboro on a last-second touchdown by none other than quarterback Brent Stockstill, the quarterback, the coach's son. By the way, Brent Stockstill is now an assistant on Florida Atlantic. So, you know, an offensive assistant, maybe he has, you know, some intel to offer Florida Atlantic. But really, this Middle Tennessee State team is just bad. I think it's a good spot for Florida Atlantic at minus 10. The Middle Tennessee State defense, is just, it's just hard. Uh, so give me the Owls and Lane is my favorite overdog. Where are you going? How does your son not end up on your own staff, by the way? How does he end up in the conference? That's crazy. Yeah, very odd. Very odd. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to go with Oklahoma. I think for everything that we talked about on the uh, on the podcast, uh, you know, I'll just reiterate that I think Jalen Hurts is not going to have a problem uh, with the zone read with his option. Uh, I think OU is going to roll here. Uh, mostly the story is, is it going to be Jalen Hurts or is it going to be because there's actual defense here? As of last year, it was just a bunch of statues standing in the back seven. Fair enough. All right, before we get out of here, let's move on to third down and let's go with our money line parlay. <laughs> Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the Moneyline Parlay. It's week seven. We haven't hit one yet, but our Moneyline Underdogs, which we publish every Saturday, we've hit one each week. So they're six and six up, I don't know, like four units or something. Let's try to hit one. Although I will tell you that this week, I'm not just going for a, with a small underdog. Go back to what we were doing last year. And I'm just going with my favorite as far as value is concerned. Uh, I'm going with Tennessee. Uh, the Vols, Rocky Top, they let me down in devastating fashion uh, last week against Georgia with a fumble return for a touchdown that with a ref pick that cost me two bets. Uh, but at plus 230-ish, I had this Mississippi State team, there's just something that's off with them. Said it early in the year that their defense is going to be a lot worse. I mean, you, lo- you lose all those first-round draft picks from the defensive line, you know, Abram at safety, but it's worse than I thought. You know, they're giving up 6.3 yards per play. That's outside the top 100. We're talking about a, a defense that last year, just last year, led the nation at 4.1. Really what's, what's clicked for me is watching Auburn's offense against Florida, watching Kansas State after playing Mississippi, like Kansas State and Auburn, you know, they were, they're not world beaters. Kansas State went to Mississippi State and won. And, you know, their offense was kind of moving the ball. And, you know, Auburn shredded Mississippi State. And they couldn't even complete a forward pass against Florida. So this defense is just worlds worse than it was last year. And I think it's not being accurately reflected in the market still. Uh, so I'm going to take a shot with the Vols at home, hungry for a win. They did look a little better last week against Georgia for a while. Um, and... They look a lot better with Maurer under center, who's going to get the start again this week. Uh, So give me Tennessee to get an SEC win this week at home against a Mississippi State team who's just reeling. I don't like their defense. And, you know, they're going to Tennessee for this noon kick. They have LSU at home on deck. Maybe come out a little flat. Give me the Vols plus 230. Yeah, I like that pick a lot. I'm actually got some money on them myself, and they will be in my – round robin parlay as for this it came down between western kentucky and arizona i'm gonna go with arizona you want us to sweat late we're gonna be sweating late on this one because this will be the last of the day and with hawaii playing at boise there won't be any island magic going on but uh i just can't get over how bad washington's defense is i don't think we know the floor of the washington defense i think we've seen the ability or at least what they could washington could do on offense but what they can do on offense, they can't gain as many yards as quick as Arizona can. Arizona is hitting on all cylinders, and they've been doing it without Khalil Tate running. I did not expect when I bought a couple of tickets in Vegas and a couple, I had one Washington under nine and a half. I didn't think that that would cash by the time midterm exams came around, but I think it's going to cash with Arizona in Tucson late at night on Saturday. True Pac-12 after dark. I think the underdogs are undefeated against the spread in Pac-12 after dark so far this year. So there you have it. The 
while we're starting at noon, the pressure's on me with the Vols to get a win. <laughs> um, and then we'd be finishing up after midnight Eastern uh, with the Arizona Wildcats. That pays. Tennessee and Arizona pays. It feels like it should be a college basketball parlay. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're going to get, get Arizona as a dog at a college basketball. It's almost that time of year. It's almost, it's almost. We're under a month. It's about pays about nine to one. We'll have a write up on it up on the action app and actionnetwork.com. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me, Colin. Make sure you unsubscribe, subscribe, tell a friend, rate, review. You know the drill. We'll catch y'all on Saturday morning on the live show, 1030 a.m. Eastern. We'll tweet out a link and then we'll catch you right back here on Monday. Don't forget about the voicemails, cry, scream, bitch, yell, whatever you need to do to get it out on your bets. Yell at us, curse us. Uh, don't forget the phone number is five seven five six five five zero six six four. You can find it on my Twitter at Stucky Two. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch y'all later. Cheers. Peace out. <laughs>